Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast for Real Life Church Pullman. We exist to help people know and become like Jesus. Hello, Real Life Church. Yeah, wow. This is a bit surreal. I've been stalking you on camera for probably the last six months. So it's a little strange to now be up here talking to all of you, but it's great to put some faces to names. And and, uh, I've been in church... All of my life. I am a pastor's kid. My parents are probably watching online. Hi, Mom. Um, um, But I can't tell you how... I mean, I don't know if I've been around such a a great group of of leaders and elders in my time. I mean, you guys really have a phenomenal leadership team here. Um, It's been a real blessing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're, They're fantastic. Love them to death already, even though they don't know me very well, like Gary said. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I'm from Utah. Have you heard of it? Yes. A little bit further south here. I uh, grew up in a town called Moab. <laughs> yes, so that, that does make me a Moabite. Um, if you know the Genesis story, you know that's not a good thing. Um, but uh, I guess that's what happens when Mormons name your cities. Um, you get names like, you names like Moab. Uh, but it, it's good to be here. We live now in, in the Salt Lake City area where I've been pastoring for the last seven years at a church called the Adventure Church. Um, and so it's, it's been good, and, and they're all very supportive. My, my phone's been blowing up, wondering how it's going. I can't tell if they're praying it'll go worse or if it'll go well. Um, but uh, I think they're all very excited for myself and the family. And I know Amy, you get to meet her hopefully a little bit later today, uh, but she is, uh, she's much better than I am and much more uh, charismatic, and, and she's, she's a very wonderful person. Hopefully you guys get a chance to give her a hug and meet my little Lily, my little eight-month-old Lily. Uh, she's a sweetheart. But I'm excited to bring the, the message today. So we're starting a new series called Wandering, Wandering. And um, I thought maybe this would be a great way to introduce the story of how Israel wanders through the desert and what happens, and, and how this is really changing who they are as a people. How many of you know what a threshold is? What it means to cross a threshold? We, we have graduation coming up soon, right? How many WSU grad, you guys WSU? Okay, awesome. Any of you seniors yet? Okay, so graduation really is coming up soon. And, and graduation is, is a bit of a threshold. You know, when you graduate, you, you walk up the stairs, you cross the platform, and you cross over from student into professional, into t- paying taxes and having responsibilities. Aren't you excited about that? But there, there is a, a status change that occurs, right? There's a status that changes from student to professional. When you cross that stage, you shake all the hands and you enter into the professional life, as, as well as a different role within community, too. As a student, there was a little bit of a different expectation and role that you may have stepped into. And then going into the professional world, you have different types of roles that you have to, to accomplish. And you have 40-hour work weeks, and there's just different expectations there. And I think the wandering idea of Israel really starts at Mount Sinai. The idea of wandering and becoming a new person, a new status, and a new role within Israel begins at Mount Sinai. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today as as we, we look at what it means to be ascending into promise. Ascending into promise is what I want to, to camp in tonight, or I guess not tonight, this morning, and, uh, and talk more about that as we begin this series Because in a similar way that graduation is a threshold, the time of Israel's wandering through the wilderness is their threshold into becoming something different. 
the threshold is in becoming something different. And I found a great quote by the theologian named Carmen Joy. Um, she teaches at Biola University in California. And she says, far more than just a place to pass, pass through, this time of wandering is a workshop of Israel's becoming. The wilderness is the temporary destination that makes them who they are. That this time of wandering through the desert and the wilderness is going to actually refine them and mold them into who they are going to be and step into in the promised land. That there's things that have to be removed from them in order to make them who they're supposed to be. They were changed and prepared for what was ahead. It was giving them a new status and therefore a new role in how God viewed them and how he wanted them to be moving forward. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn or tap into uh, Exodus 19. Exodus 19, 1 through 6, that's going to be our key text this morning. So you can follow along with me as as I read. I'm going to be reading out of the, the NIV version. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came up to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagle's wings. Any, any Tolkien fans in here? Any Lord of the Rings fans? <laughs> Tolkien was a Bible guy, isn't that cool? With the eagles flying in? All right, fun fact, that one's free. And brought you to myself. Now, if you obey, that, that word there, obey, is the word shema. Say that, shema. It's a fun Israel, it's a fun uh, Hebrew word to say. Shema. It means to hear or listen. Okay, so I already want to set the stage a little bit that God isn't saying, hey, follow this checklist. Right? If you follow this checklist of rules, you'll be with me. It's saying, if you listen, if you follow me, if you listen and live out what I'm telling you, okay? Different perspective than just following the checklist, isn't it? It's really this more of, of following, listening to what I have to say. Do you hear me, Israel, is what he is saying. Now, if you shema to me fully and keep my covenant, if you keep my promises, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. And this is where I want to really bring the message for you this morning is that we are going to be reading about Israel ascending into promise. As as Moses climbs that mountain, he's ascending. And this idea of ascending is something that even in, in modern Judaism is a very significant thing. Right now they have the term aliyah. It's this idea of ascending into the Holy Land. If you're a modern day Jew, you're ascending into the Holy Land. And the same idea of ascent is how we got the Psalms of ascent. Where they're singing praises to their God as they climb Mount Sinai to worship as they pilgrimage. And so this concept of ascending is very significant to the Israelite people. Because they're ascending into the promises of God who has, God has made them to be and who he wants them to be moving forward. And I think the same thing can go for us today. So there's two key promises that God has given Israel in this first ascent that he makes. 
The first one is, you will be my treasured possession. You will be my treasured possession. And he says, you will then be also be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Notice there, it's a, it's a kingdom of priests, not a, just a, a nation who has priests. It's a kingdom of priests, as in the whole nation will be priests and a holy nation. Both of these promises reflect a change in status and a change of role from who they used to be and how they used to behave into now who they are and who they can be. He's stepping them into a place of a new creation in many ways. Because if you remember, Israel was in captivity in Egypt for 430 years. 430 years. Our nation isn't that old. We're only 270-some years old. Imagine the types of things that these people would have seen and endured and how they would have viewed themselves after being enslaved for 430 years. God had some redefining to do, didn't he? He had some new things he needed to pour out into those people. And the first one he says is, I will make you a treasured possession. You will be my treasured possession. And I want you to think about a little bit here how you personally relate to God. How do you individually right now relate to God in your life? Do you, do you see yourself as someone who could be a treasured possession to the creator of everything that has ever been created? Do you think that because of the things you've endured in the past, the things that have happened to you, the things you've even done, that you see yourself in a way that could be accepted as a treasured possession by the creator of everything that has been created? I think in some ways that's where Israel was. I mean, they have been property for 430 years. They have been beaten and destroyed. A generation of their sons killed in recent memory. Imagine the, the insecurity and the lack of confidence they have, really, in being like, who are we anymore? We, we have these old stories of, of God speaking to our ancestors, like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But, and we saw some pretty amazing things recently, but we don't really know who we are. We don't really have a national identity anymore. So God is going to tell them who they are. Because in crossings, in any threshold, you need to first understand who you are, and more importantly, whose you are. And first understanding any change, any walk of life, as, as a believer in Jesus, that's the first place we ask is, who are you and whose are you? Who do you belong to? Do you live your life from a place of understanding of who you belong to and who you are? The status change for Israel with God is that they became a treasured possession. He says, if you listen to me, if you follow me, you will be a treasured possession. Now, this idea of treasured possession is something that a king either entrusts to another person so they could be like the right-hand man of a king. So the king might say, you're my treasured possession in the time of the ancient Near East, or he could even say, hey, this is my, my most coveted and most important piece of property. So the ancient kings would say, this is my treasured possession. It can either be a person or a thing. And so when you're hearing that as an Israelite, you're thinking, boy, God has wanted me to come in really close to him. That he's looking at me as someone who is the closest person that he is calling to be. 
is calling us to be, the calling Israel to be. It's a great entrusted position with great responsibility. And you think about it, God took a people with brokenness, insecurities, loss, trauma, all the things that Israel must have gone through the last 430 years, other nations would have scoffed at, looked down upon, he said, you, because of my grace, you are a treasured possession. Not because of anything you did, but because I wanted you. Think about that. That God didn't have to rescue them out of Egypt. He decided to because he heard their cries. And he said, you are my people. I remember the promises I've made to your ancestors and I will be your God. And I will bless you. God took a people who were slaves, misused, abused, and elevated them to the place of closest friend. In the Greek, we use that word as treasured possession as beloved. The beloved people of God. God wanted them to know who they were so that when they stepped into the promised land, they would not forget their identity. When they stepped into the wilderness, as they crossed into the wilderness, as they endured the things they're about to endure in the wilderness, he'd never wanted them to forget who they were. He takes who we used to be, our pasts of brokenness, destruction, sin, corruption, the things that maybe have happened to us or the things we've done, and he redefines them and elevates us to a place of closeness to him. Praise God, amen. Amen that he does, he takes our brokenness and our hurt and he redefines it and brings us close to him. They were no longer identified as the enslaved people of Egypt, but a people now who were the treasured possession of a king. A treasured possession of a king. With a new belonging of who they are. Therefore, bringing them into a new responsibility or a new role. And that's when he brings in the second promise that they will be a nation of priests and a holy nation. A nation of priests and a holy nation. And as we think about that idea of a nation of priests, we should hearken our minds back into Genesis. Genesis 1 through 3 is is where our, our, our minds are starting to shift and what it means to actually be a priest. Because a lot of nations had priests, right? Every, every religion at the time of Israelites, they had priests. And priests, what they did was, was mediate between God and man. Either their sacrifice or some kind of, a, you know, whatever it was in the, in the pagan worlds that were around them. But the important thing that God is really trying to explain to Israel is that you are my representatives. That as a, as a nation of priests, that where you go, you represent me. And this is why it harkens back to Genesis, because that is what an image bearer is. That if you were made in the image of God, it means that you are representing the image that you are reflecting. So in the ancient world, if there were kings, in Babylon, for example, and they were ruling a a governing city down the street, the king couldn't be in two places at once, and so he would put image bearers in those cities. So those image bearers represent the king and all of his decrees in those cities. And so what God is saying here, as priests, you mediate, you represent me, reflecting back into a redeemed example of what it means to be an image bearer 
or representative of God within humanity. So he's saying, Israel, not only do you belong to me, but you're going to reflect me in the world around you. And through that, you will be a blessing to the nations around you. Because as you live your life, as you listen to me, as you shema me, the nations around you will see me and see who I am. And we read about that through the Old Testament. We read about how these foreign kings would come and go, boy, I ran into this, this, this God of yours, this Yahweh. And so they love him so much, a lot of times they take dirt back with them because they think that'll just how carry Yahweh with them. It's the representative of who God is within creation. This should be something that we take with, with utmost respect and, and seriousness as we look at who we are in Christ. Now that we can understand, okay, I know who I am in Christ, what is my role as being representatives now within the world that we live in? That when people see our lives, when they see our communities, like real life church, when they see our communities, do they see the God of the Bible reflected out into our communities from those things, from the way we live our lives, from the ways that we listen to our Lord? Do we see ourselves in a way, place that can be proper representatives of what he wants to do in our communities and our families? God is telling Israel that through the people of Israel, he will reveal himself on who he is and that they live out their lives as representatives of him, as, as priests, as mediators of what he desires. And as we read about what our Lord has to say about what it means to follow the, the Torah, the, the law, he basically had to paraphrase, he brings us into two points, doesn't he? To Shema, God means that you, you are to love him with all your heart, mind, and soul, and to love your neighbors. He says all of that, all of the 613 laws of the Old Testament are wrapped up into two things. Love God and love people. So as we represent God, as we recognize who we are, as God is redeeming and reclaiming the things that were broken and, and destroyed in our lives and rebuilding us up, do we reflect then also the idea of loving God and loving people as a result? After God elevated their status, reclaiming Israel, he freed them to live out the new status as God's personal representatives here on earth. And I think about that. How often do we wake up in the morning thinking, I'm going to be God's personal representative on the earth? That, that I'm going to be the sales and marketing team for God today. As I go into work, as I go into school, as I go into the difficult situations that we have to deal with, do we remember that we are the personal representatives of God that he said, yeah, you. I have put you here to represent me. That's actually what it means to be human, is to represent God within creation. I just think that is something very special, don't you? That the creator of the universe, when we look up into the skies, and I, I love how dark it gets in Pullman, because you can see all the stars. And I just think, man, that's the God who put those stars in place are the ones that know you well enough that he's not only going to redefine your past, but he's going to have you represent him in the future for all of creation. That he's going to use the stories of the things that you've been through 
to redeem others as they come along the way. I think that is very special and very cool. God is continuing his promise to Abraham that through his line they would be a blessing to all the nations by reminding them that they are his special possession and that they are his representatives within creation. Now here's the problem. Moses doesn't do a very good job of this, does he? Aaron does a terrible job of this. And so do his sons, right? You read about that not long after these promises. It's funny to read these stories because you're like, man, Israel is so dumb, right? I think that's kind of the point because you kind of have to judge them and then you go, oh, shoot. I'm, I kind of do the same thing, right? I think that's part of what the, the author is trying to communicate here a little bit. But what we see is that Moses doesn't accomplish this very well, does he? He lacks faith. I think Corbin's going to teach a little bit on that one. Aaron will mess up royally. They'll all say, yeah, we're in it, God. Okay, guys, let's build a golden calf, right? God will love it, right? Messes up royally. His sons will pass away because they touch things that shouldn't be touched. Israel will eventually, under, the king, under King Solomon, it's, it's highlighted in First and Second Kings, they actually become Egypt. They become the oppressors and the corrupt. The thing that God is trying to purge, he's like, I'm going to purge Egypt from you. They actually become Egypt. And it's highlighted very well in the time of Solomon. So they become what they hate. Israel could never fulfill what God is calling them to do. He, this was a foreshadowing of an Israelite that was coming that could fulfill what they were asking, or what God was, was telling Israel to be. It would take a Galilean from Nazareth, and nothing good comes from Nazareth, right? To change and fulfill Israel's status. To live out what it means to be a priest and holy in Israel. There are many accounts within the Gospels where you read about Jesus ascending there's the ascension. That's a big one. There's the many times when Jesus actually climbs the mountain to get away from, to get away from people and, and get in the presence of God. These are accounts that are drawing back to this Mount Sinai ascension. But the ones that I, I think are, are crucial is Jesus' ascension to Golgotha. Carrying the cross to the top of the rock. Ascending into the promises of knowing what's waiting for him at the top. Yet also knowing that he is fulfilling what God had told Moses thousands of years before. That this ascension is going to usher in a time when not only Israel will be called a treasured possession, but he's bringing humanity in to the treasured possession. That he's bringing humanity back to how it should have been in Genesis 1 through 3, the idea of coming back into a treasured possession and a place of holy priests. Paul reflects on this in Titus 2, 13 through 14. He uses this story, he says, Our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself up for us to redeem us. This, this idea of redeem is also the name of reclaim. You could say reclaim us from this. Reclaim us from the past, from the brokenness, from the destruction, from the false identities of the world, the Egypts that put on us. 
How many times has the world imprinted identity on you that is not of God? I think there's a lot of us that struggle with this. We don't see ourselves in the way that God has made us and God has formed us, created us, and rather it's Egypt that's trying to define us, the world to define us. That he gave himself up to us to reclaim us from every lawless deed. This, I, this, the Greek word for lawless deed is anomia. It's also got this idea of, of, of really drawing us into his closeness, from, from driving us away from the separation of us into this place of closeness with us. It's the stuff that really affects the soul of a human being. Either self-inflicted or things that have been inflicted upon us. Reclaim us from every sinful act that's been done to us and to purify for himself a people of his own possession. A people of his own possession. That he is there, he climbed that mountain, he ascended that mountain on the cross to reclaim you. To make you his, so you could belong to him and live out your life from the place of security, understanding who you are in him and the responsibilities that follow having the name of Jesus imprinted on your forehead. Christ's ascension to the cross and resurrection opened the door for all who put their faith in him to be reclaimed and redefined, to purge the Egypts of the world. And to purify them, prepare them for what's ahead. That you are given a new status of closeness. Solidified by your faith in Christ. That this world can't touch you. The world doesn't want you to know this. The Egypts don't want you to think you're enslaved. What Jesus wants to do is set you free so that the world doesn't have a grip on you anymore. Because the world doesn't own you. The world doesn't belong to you. The world didn't die for you. I did. And he says, put your faith in me and you will walk out of this life free from the corruption, the sin, and all the things that accompany us in this world and be able to walk empowered by him. I mean, you know, want that. I want that. I mean, you want to walk that way out. Yes, okay, two of you. Yes, we did it. Okay. By faith, this new status confirms us, conforms us into the image of Christ. Reflecting our new status, we live out a role of representing Christ in our world. We have been given a new status. Because of the cross and resurrection of Jesus, we have been given a new status. We are a new possession, a new creation. And we're given a new role to be the image of Christ in our communities, our families, to reflect him in our world. The question is, is are we a people who are up to the task of living out, understanding that we are in the possession of a great God and living out what it means to reflect him and his love for others and him in our communities and our life? I don't know about real life. Are you guys in for that? Are you guys up to the challenge of that? It's a hard life, but it's a fun life to be able to serve our king in that way. So I ask you today, find your identity and life in the completed work of Jesus. Find your identity and your life in the completed work of Jesus. Can we pray?
Father, thank you for this church, first off. Lord, thank you for these people. Father, I pray that right now you will just work in their hearts and remind them of who they are in you. That by your grace, through faith, you have made them into a special possession. A people called out. A holy nation. A royal priesthood. Of people who are here to reflect you in the city of Pullman and the areas around us. Lord, you have sent us. You have called us out. So help us to find the security in you and to find the courage to represent you in this world because that is the threshold we are crossing into. A threshold of being redeemed and reclaimed and being representatives of you, our great God, and this creation. And all God's people said, Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by going to rlcpullman.com or by following us on Facebook or YouTube. Until next time, have a great week.